from MPW Digital Network comes Cast Iron Table, the network's latest podcast for foodies. Look at the char we're getting. That that is what we're going for. Oh, isn't that hot, guys? Yeah, let's go with peppercorns. Thank you, because without peppercorns, it's not steak a poivre. <sighs> it can't be. Archer! By, like, definition. Today's show focuses on taste and drinks from the South, as well as some of your questions. I am not chugging beer. I'm sampling a flight of gluten-free German lagers with a French wine pairing. It's called a smorgasbein, and it's elegantly cultural. All right, Randy, you should probably lay off the old vine Chateauneuf de Pub. MPW Digital invites you to come sit down at Cast Iron Table with the Country Club of Oxford's executive chef, Jonathan Oliver, and the host of the program, Chase Parham. How intelligent do you have to be to take a food order? Ma'am, you're absolutely right, and uh, I apologize. I'm going to get this fixed for you right away. Welcome to Cast Iron Table on the MPW Digital Network. A good one for you here today. So we are talking beef. Everybody likes steak, ground beef, steak tacos, anything you can do with it. We're going to go over that stuff with you today. We've got a great guest, Ty Cofield, who is with Evans Meats out of Birmingham. He sells all kind of beef. He knows all kind of beef. He is uh, your guy for your questions on today's show. As always, with our MPW digital shows, you can head to iTunes, you can head to the podcast app on your iOS devices, or with Podbean. Just search MPW Digital. It'll bring up all of our shows for you to check out, including the Oxford Exxon podcast and After Hours as well. I'm Chase Parm, as I probably should have mentioned starting off. You can follow me on Twitter at Rivals Chase. I cover Ole Miss for the Rivals.com network, and on with me, Every week is Jonathan Oliver. He's the executive chef of the Country Club of Oxford. You can get him on Twitter at OxfordCCJohn. And now we're going to talk, uh, talk a little beef with Ty Cofield. As always, with our show, please subscribe. When you search it on the iTunes devices of your choice, subscribe. Give us a rating. We appreciate five stars. And without further ado, here is Ty Cofield from Evans Me talking a uh, little beef little uh, filet, strip, everything in between here on today's show. Ty, thanks for joining us today on the show. Going to kind of answer some questions, talk uh, beef in general, different tips for the people out there, answer their uh, their stuff, and then some of my own as well. Jonathan can kick in the the, the cooking side of it as, as you can as well. Obviously, you had a pretty long career of cooking before getting into uh, this side of the business. I guess just kind of give me a little bit of your background, what, uh, what, what, what prompted the move. I did. Um, what prompted the move was uh, the ability basically to work for myself. Um, I work with Evans Meats, work for Evans Meats. Um, in, in the sales end of things, I was able to stay in food, but was also able to basically um, make my own money. Um, you know, what we make is a direct result of the effort that we put in, and that was really appealing to me. What area do you kind of serve, and what's the what's um, the range? My territory runs from Huntsville all the way to Oxford, up to Memphis, across through Tupelo and Corinth uh, to Nashville, and then back down to Huntsville. Also, we're talking beef today, but all sorts of protein, just kind of uh, what everybody's looking for? If, I always tell people if it's a critter, um, I can I either have it or I can put my hands on it. What's the oddest thing somebody's asked for? Kangaroo. Ground kangaroo. To do what with? I don't know. They some Sometimes you don't ask why. What does that taste like? I can't tell you that either. Okay. I don't know if I want to know that. Have you ever heard anything <laughs> with that, Jonathan? Kangaroo? I'd say maybe they make some kind of sausage with or, it, maybe. 
or make a burger with it yeah. or something. I, you know, but what would make you? What would tempt you to go? Hey, let's most try weird kangaroo. stuff. Always tastes like chicken. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I think there's a lot of restaurants out there that uh, right now, especially, are really kind of pushing the bounds on uh, getting people to try new things, which you know is, is great. Um, alternative sources of meats. Uh, you know, you see emu, uh, kangaroo. Uh, I mean, iguana. Uh, there's all sorts of things out there. Alligator. Right. So th- there's a lot of people. So if I want kangaroo, there. you can get it for me? I can. You go to a guy and go, hey, I need, need some kangaroo? I need kangaroo. can't imagine what that would cost. Um, I don't think it's ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Jonathan, let's try must, this. Must be a lot of kangaroo running around. And I, I think they probably farm-raised those things somewhere with the uh, express intent that they are going to be food. Yeah. What's your your preferred cut of beef or your steak? What are you doing? I mean, obviously, most people fillet or ribeye, depending on the fat and flavor. What I, are you doing? I'm a strip guy. Really? Um, I think it's a great combination of flavor, of fat, and I like a steak to have just a little chew. Um, and I think the strip gives you all three of those. A uh, very close second would be a good ribeye. The guy that is going to the, going to the store, he's picking out his meat, and this is kind of leads into the first question that we've got from from some of our listeners and, and, and audience. Can't really afford the tenderloin, but it's looking for something that he can he can cook up. It's not going to be incredibly tough. What's he what, what's he going in there to get? Um, again, I you know if you don't want to buy a tenderloin, I would fall backwards toward a ribeye or a strip. Um, even going backwards from that, you know you can look at a, a chuck steak, um, salt it, pepper it, grill it. You know, rare to medium rare. Let it rest, slice it against the grain, and you should be pretty doggone good. What about fajitas and stuff like that if I'm going in for the beef? Brisket is nice. Um, Top round is nice. Um, Flank steak, skirt steak, um, sirloin flap. There's there's a number of options for that. For either one of you, what's the key, though, to getting that right when you're cooking it where it it, it comes out correct? I think the same with uh, grilling, letting it rest, and slicing it down. Just making sure you keep it there. I go, yeah, against the grain. Always, yeah, and even even on something like a top round, against the grain and diagonal, so you're cutting on a bias and against the grain. That kind of helps too. For the guy that uh, is cooking his beef tenderloin, though, he's getting into it, asking about reverse sears and stuff as we start these questions today. And I, I, I'm an I'm an oven guy. I prefer actually kind of prefer that to the grills, sure. put throwing it up, sear it, and then put it in the oven up to finish. But if you have a kind of the reverse sear has become a big thing lately. How would someone going about doing that kind of kind of walk me through what uh what's going on? Um, I've reverse seared things two different ways. Um, if you've got a grill that you can run kind of low and slow, um, like an egg or a komodo, um, 200, 225 degrees, um, and basically bring it up really slowly to your desired temp, be it rare, medium rare, medium. Um, Pull it off, let it sit for a few minutes, bring your grill up to a very hot temperature, finish it on there. Or what I like to do, especially with like a thick ribeye, instead of putting it back on a grill grate, is to put it in a very hot cast iron pan, sear both sides of it, let it rest, you're good to go. What's the benefit to that versus the other way? Why why are people doing that? What's well, the- when, you, when you cut a steak, and say you go to a restaurant and you order a thick steak, medium rare, and you cut into that steak and the outside edges of it are going to be well done, and then it's going to be medium well, then it's mm-hmm. going to be medium, then it's going to be medium rare in the dead center. 
the benefit of the reverse sear is if you want that steak medium rare, it's medium rare from edge to edge. So you're, you, you've got the nice sear on the outside, but you're missing out the well done, the medium well, the medium parts. Get the nice crust. Exactly. That's you get the, the nice crust, and you've got a perfect temperature all the way through the steak mm-hmm. instead of just in the center. It sounds like it's the way it should be done then. I, I kind of like the old fashioned way. Do you really? Yeah, yeah. I kind of do. But I, it it you is like a good way. It up. To, yeah, it is a good way to do a steak. I, it, it all depends on what you want, really. Is there a seasoning difference in this versus the other way to do it? Way you you those your your you know salt and pepper and whatever else on it? Not to me, no. Um, I mean, there's a million different ways to season. A I steak think it's out what there. you you pair your food with too. You know, that's a good point. You know, if I want some southwestern style meal, I'm gonna do cumin or chili powder or any of that if i'm gonna go cajun i might use blackening you know i think it's sure. what you're gonna eat with that steak that's a good point i never yeah just depending on whatever so there's not one way to do it i mean you need to change it up depending on whatever's going yeah, on I think what you're feeling that day green fed grass fed all these different things that we hear what what uh, for the for, for the for the basic person out there i guess first what are these terms and then what difference does it make um, one thing to remember is all beef is grass-fed. Now, there's a lot of beef out there that's grass-fed and grain-finished. Um, 99% of what you see is grain-fed or is grass-fed and grain-finished. Meaning what? Meaning that they come up through their life pastured. They're eating grass. They're eating hay. They get sent to a, f- a feedlot or they get put in a feed pan on a farm they get finished on grain so they get a good fat content within the meat right um fat gives you flavor i mean at the risk of sounding cliche that's honest to goodness i mean that's that's what makes beef taste so good what we think about in as americans for beef is that classic grain fed flavor um grass fed and grass finished beef can be really really good uh the health benefits obviously are there um but it does have a distinctly different flavor uh to me it tends to be a magnified beef flavor uh maybe a little more irony um the fat in it tends to be not as buttery as the grain-fed beef um I think there's definitely a place in the world for both of those. Um, and the price difference. There, there's a generally a tremendous yeah. price difference. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to see some exceptions to that, um, but quality grain-fed beef is or grass-fed beef is, is not inexpensive. Is that period. something that uh, you know the more they do it, the cheaper it'll get in, the, in a few years, or is that the more the popular it gets, the more expensive it is, or? You know, honestly, I, I can't answer that. Yeah. Um, you would think that an increased quantity would drive the price down, but generally with an increased quantity is also going to come an increased demand mm-hmm. uh, so that those two factors tend to neutralize each other. That makes sense. What what, what works for the for the, the actual, you know, just the grass-fed, the more more meaty irony flavor what, what what do we cook like if i'm picking that out is there something i should be looking at that i'm trying to cook that would go better with that from a recipe standpoint either one of you i would think you know just your normal stuff you know steak steak and potato 
Um, if you want to keep it healthy and try to do the whole healthy thing, you know, you can go collard greens, not sure. use bacon, kind of keep it a little lighter. Um, I think that's also, um, you know, what you want to do that day, what you're in the mood for. Slice it up, put it in the refrigerator, get it cold, and do a salad with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cold beef salad, blue cheese dressing. I mean, that sounds good. Backing up a little to the talking about cooking in the oven and the sear and whatnot. I, this happened to me a couple times early. I, I've perfected it a little better now, but a lot of people say, hey, I can't do that. I am going to smoke my house to smithereens when I do this with the oil. What what oil would help with that and anything else that would kind of help these people that are maybe in a little tighter confines but want to want to try some of these oven methods for their steaks? I use uh, the 80-20 blended. It doesn't smoke as much. And okay. Some people just don't know, and they'll use the extra virgin olive oil, and next thing they know their house is like, you know, just a pit of smoke and it's like a alarms trip. going off. <laughs> yeah, um, that's on my RM, but of course we have I have pretty nice hood vent at home, so it kind of picks that up. I'm a fan of peanut oil. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of peanut allergies out there, but peanut oil has a very high smoking point. Um, and the it's thing with the beef is, you know, if you've got a nice piece of beef that's got some fat in it, you need very little oil in a pan anyway. Very little. Is that soy beef, the same kind of soy, or is it a little higher? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I just, uh, I've kind of always stuck with what I know. Yeah. Just use peanut oil. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say. It could be an amount thing, too. If they're just pouring oil in this pan, then you're going to have a have a flame up. I think also on that, if you're using the cast iron skillet, I mean, the, a little bit less oil, then you get that more crust on your, on your steak. Yeah. You know, a great way to do that is to fire your grill up outside yeah, and just put your cast it. iron on your grill. Get your cast iron white hot on the grill and just sear it outside. And then close it like an oven, yep. you know, the top. What temperature am I looking for when I close it up? As hot as you can yeah. get it. Okay. Mine goes all, you're, to all you're trying to do is sear that thing. Yeah, right. so just... Yeah. Then you could come off of that and go into the oven with another pan. You know, leave your cast iron out there. Tongs, stake off the cast iron into a... You know, half sheet tray if you have one. Go right into your oven inside. I was asked this earlier today. I'll just quote the question here. Guy says, I use nothing but kosher salt to prepare my steaks. I kind of reason that anything else will burn off the grill. Are there variations to try either with the salt or instead with the salt that will stay with the meat? I was also told the salt will help tenderize the meat if they let it sit in the refrigerator over a few hours. Seems to work anyway. Salt. All right, here's the deal with kosher salt. Kosher salt versus iodized salt is a flavor and texture thing. Salt is, you're not going to burn salt. It's not going to burn off. Um, Kosher salt doesn't have the iodine, so you don't get the iodine flavor. Uh, The texture of it, to me, is a little easier to work with because you can pinch it between your fingers and and use it. You don't have to shake it out. It's uh, it's not so fine that it's difficult to work with. Um, How's the Himalayan salt? Is that used a lot? I've never used that, like the pink salt. Yeah. Um, I've seen steaks cooked on blocks of pink salt yeah. before. Yeah, I've done that. Um, that's cool. And uh, it, that's that's a neat technique. I've just never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we basically at home use kosher salt for everything. Um, I, I don't even know the last time we bought iodized salt. Um, you know, iodized salt is kind of an old-fashioned thing. There, there's You get plenty of iodine now in your diet that you don't really need. I mean, Extra. Extra mm-hmm. iodine. It's, I can't think of the last time I saw somebody with a goiter from an <laughs> iodine deficiency. It, but when I was a kid, occasionally you would see that. Um, you know, as far as pre-salting a steak, 
Um, I've done it. I think the biggest difference to me in pre-salting a steak was the steak tends to get seasoned all the way through. It does absorb some of that salt, uh, so the salt's not just on the surface, but just kind of the one note there. If you leave that salt on there too long, you will cure the outside of that meat, and it will be tough, period. I mean, th there's, a, there's a sweet spot there, right? Um, and I would imagine it's some chemistry to do with the surface area of the steak. you wash it kind of or? After it's set in the fridge, you kind of wash it off and I redo it? I brushed it off brush with it off, a paper yeah. towel really? um, and then didn't re-salt it before mm. I put it on the grill. Um, what What's the sweet spot to not have it on too long? Like what timing-wise, what are we looking at here? I wouldn't say any longer than, what, 90 minutes, yeah. two hours. I would think if you knew you were cooking a steak that night and you got from the store, you're already home after work, I'd say do it then, then probably cooking at 7 o'clock, probably perfect time. Jonathan, I know you were kind of working on this. What are kind of some other – seasoning marinade alternatives to just the guy that uses just straight up salt and and you know pepper marinade maybe a little wise, garlic or something yeah um well we've done here i do the you know we're all beer and bourbon we've talked about that a lot lately um we do a beer and bourbon marinade here with two cups of beer um you know like we talked before about anything in the fridge something a little dark so you want something a little little pop right yeah with a little bit of flavor cup of uh sour mash bourbon so okay and then half a cup of veg oil, an onion, some garlic, salt and pepper, bay leaves, basil, and thyme. Let that sit four to six hours. Just mix it all together. Mix it together. Marinate. And you know, I wouldn't do a filet like that, but like you talked earlier, maybe your flank or your your hanger steak or flat iron, anything like that that you want to get a little punch to. That's what we do. I did that a couple of weeks ago. So maybe if I'm making a sandwich or something with it, just doing sure. Yeah, I think that sounds good. You could do it bourbon and balsamic, same remedy, but add balsamic vinegar in there instead of the beer. It's good. What's the it taste profile changing on that? Tart flavor in there, a little more punch to it, but it's awesome. First one sounds better. Well, you love bourbon. I do. <laughs> yeah. And 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 don't love balsamic vinegar. Yeah, so, so it's, that's yeah, that's your. There's two choices. We were talking about this a little before the before the podcast today. I know both of you huge fans of this, being a little sarcastic. Dry aging at home. Everybody wants to try something at home. Everybody wants to, whether it's, you know, crafting your own beer or dry aging your steak, you want to do it yourself. So I guess kind of just walk me through that a little bit if you, if you feel so inclined. There's a lot of information on the Internet about that. Um, and generally every website you read contradicts the one – that you read before that one. Um, Drying at home, I would imagine it's possible. Um, it's also, to me, kind of a scary proposition. 90% um, of the people out there are not going to be able to control what goes on in a proper manner. Um, when you dry age beef, you're counting on having the correct microbes um, in the correct humidity, the correct temperature in a very tightly controlled environment. Um, I think at home that's incredibly difficult to do, if not almost impossible, unless you, you, you know, have build a, your own you've got to have, you've got to have a, a dry aging locker. Mm. Um, you know, there are a lot of companies out there where you can order dry aged steaks. Uh, before I attempted to dry age something at home, I, I would probably go that route. That's just my opinion. 
Um, like I said, there's a bunch of advice out there on how to do it. I just uh, you don't want to get everybody sick. Be careful, though. Yeah. Be, yeah, be careful. Pro- is I mean, I, what, from a, obviously, I mean, I don't know what the general taste profile of it is, but is it worth it? I mean, do you, do you two prefer it? I mean, what, what's kind of your thoughts I mean, just on that type of steak in general? I think it's cool to have every once in a while. I mean, just on me, is if I put it on a menu, it's going to sell. But I wouldn't do it myself. I would get it from him. <laughs> I, Done. I think, I think that it's a, uh, I think it's a great thing. Um, you know, the flavor profile is completely different. You know, you're talking tender. about adding a, it's tender. You're talking about adding a, a depth of flavor there that wasn't there previously because the moisture is being driven off. The enzymes are working inside the meat. Um, it's it's just a different experience. Uh, it's you know it's a high end experience generally. It's a great thing, and I you know I, I encourage people to uh, eat more beef, and that's a great way to uh, kind of explore change that world. it up exactly. Got on our message board, ask us difference in Angus and choice. Is it worth uh, any extra money? Um, I'll address it that this way. Choice is a USDA grade, just like Select and Prime. Right. Angus is a name brand. Okay. Um, when somebody says certified Angus beef, they're talking about a program in which a company pays to have a license to be able to distribute beef with a sticker on it that says certified Angus. It is not a grade. It does not mean anything to the USDA. So it's like a marketing tool. Exactly. It's like putting a brand on a bottle of bourbon. Right. Um, You know, the important thing for people to remember is that Angus is simply a brand. It it is, you know, certified Angus is simply a brand. That's all it is. It does not, it's not anything to do with the USDA grading. And it could be any grade. There's not typically kind of, if you do have Angus, it is a certain... I think that the Angus Association has certain parameters that you have to meet. I'm just not very clear on those. We, you we sell don't, we do prime not, choice and select, right? Is we sell USDA certified yeah, beef. Right. Um, we don't participate in the Angus licensing, no. Talk about choice, prime, select. I well, guess just quick primers on sure. the differences in those. Um, select tends to be the lowest grade that you'll see in a grocery store, the lowest common grade. Um now, when I say the lowest grade, I, in no way does that infer that anything negative about the beef at all. Um, most of the beef out there is going to be select. Um, it just tends to have uh, a slightly less marbling, slightly less you know, marbling intramuscular fat. Um, the sizing of the cattle may be a, bit, a little bit larger. You move up to choice, you're going to see a little more marbling in it. The meat's going to be a little tender. Uh, the ribeye loins tend to get a little bit smaller and a little more compact so when you say i want a 16 ounce ribeye instead of being you know an inch and a half thick it may be two and a quarter inch thick you move up to prime which is the highest recognized usda grade you're going to have the most marbling uh the cattle tend to be a little bit smaller although you know there's always going to be an exception there um and you're going to pay for it i mean it's a premium product Uh, there's a very small percentage of the cows actually grayed out as prime um, Prime is, I mean, it's the Cadillac. It is the Cadillac. 
What's the price differentials? Ballpark, G obviously. A dollar and a half, two dollars a pound, generally on a strip. Maybe a little bit more than that on a ribeye. It's not enough to make you go whoa or anything. I mean, I mean, probably but not. No, probably not. Uh, you know, is is it worth seeking out? Is it worth finding a local butcher shop and seeking out? Absolutely, without the a LB doubt. LBs switched to prime. He said LBs. LB's here in Oxford is an all-prime house now. And they do a great job, an absolutely great job. We were asked on thicker cuts, is it possible to infuse beef like you would chicken or turkey or something? Or would you, either way? I don't know if you want to... Don't want to touch it, don't want to take your with I'm it? I'm wanting to eat a piece of meat, you know, I want the all that flavor. I mean... It just seems like a big deal. I mean, uh, you could probably, you could probably take a steak, and I mean, you can take a steak, you can do and it, throw yeah. it in a throw it in a ziploc bag with you know some garlic, some mm -hmm. rosemary, a little bit of olive oil, put it in the refrigerator, and it'll pick up the smell of the rosemary, the the smell of the garlic, um, and and that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, a lot of guys now are injecting briskets before they smoke them. Mm -hmm. um, I've never injected a brisket. I always inject pork. Uh, I generally brine chicken before I smoke it. Uh, although I did buy some brisket injection, I'm going to try that uh, either this weekend or next. What's it being injected with? Um, the product comes from a company called Meat Church. Um, they do a really, really good job with barbecue rubs and things like that. Um, I'm not exactly sure what all's in it. I haven't looked at it yet. Is that something you can get local, or is that I, I buy what it off I have their to get that from I buy you? it off their website. website. Yeah. You guys don't sell that? No, we don't. We don't. But, you know, it, it can't be that hard to make. You right. You know, you would think it's got a lot of granulated garlic in it, a lot of granulated onion, mm -hmm. black pepper, probably uh, beef base or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, beef broth. Right. Just to kind of echo those flavors. Or some kind of demi? Probably. It's more of my own question, just curiosity, not really a cooking thing. But I feel like lately, and now when I say a lot, probably only five, six times, but I've seen a lot more people with Terrace Major on the menu lately. Is that just kind of a new – I mean, I feel like I hadn't seen it before. That is it something that people were just tinkering with and trying? Or, I mean, what, 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 are, we, what are we relating that to? I think – I think that for a long time people did not call it terrace major on the menu they would call it a butcher's tender or a mm. shoulder tender okay um and that was generally always terrace major i think you've seen just generally in food a movement to properly label things to let people know where products are coming from to make sure they know where on the animal products coming from to call things what they really are uh, that's admirable um Terrace is a is, is a great option, especially if you're looking for a steak to put on the grill that doesn't break the bank. I mean, it's a good way to go. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it looks very similar to a fillet. Um, slice is good. It eats good. It's a great piece of meat. How much cheaper is it? Uh, significantly. <laughs> <laughs> significantly. I mean, that might be one of your better I'm, just overall than pound for pound choices if you're just picking something out then. Yeah, if you can find it, yes. I mean, it's it's not 
I don't know how often you see it in grocery stores. You'd have to get it from, like, I would have to hunt it down from you. I'm sure. sure. You, you know, it would have to come from a meat company or a butcher shop. Around town. Somebody like that. What about a sirloin? Sirloins are great. I mean, the baseball cut. Yeah. You know, sirloins are so flexible. You can do almost anything with them. You know, you grill them and you don't overcook them. It's we did the uh, the carpet bagger mm-hmm. sirloin like at Giacomo's in New Orleans yeah. with the the oyster stuffed in there, and we did it with blue cheese and uh, crawfish. Nice. Take me through that. Well, um, I'd probably get his already cut because I don't have a lot of room. Get like a six to eight, I don't know, probably six ounce, eight ounce, somewhere in there because you're gonna stuff it and make it fat. Baseball so cut sirloin. Knife, baseball cut, yeah. Paring knife to the side. Make your mix. I, I did, like I said, blue cheese, crawfish. They do oysters there, which is pretty cool. Um, crawfish, blue cheese, some herbs, probably some thyme, a little bit of uh, parsley, just to give it a little color. Stuff the inside and then make you a red wine, kind of dimmy, which reduce red wine, a little butter to go over the top when it comes out. And You could either do the cast iron way of searing it outside. You want to kind of get it in there where you're – it doesn't come out of your sirloin. You kind of got to, I mean, you got to really stuff it in there. Um, a lot of people do a toothpick right there on the side so it doesn't come out. It's a good way to do it. Um, if you're doing it on the cast iron skillet, you could kind of put the the whole side of your steak onto the lip of the skillet where it doesn't, you know, it has like a pretty much a wall right there that, so it wouldn't come out. Let it rest. That's the key to, I think, any piece of meat. I agree. And then uh, just kind of, Serve it and let everybody go at it. Not overly complicated and pretty cool. Very easy, but, you know, that's the first time I had it down there when we went to Giacomo's, and I thought it was great. It's like the same thing as your uh, the, the thing we gave them a few weeks ago with the uh, the the crab, the auger. Yeah, the auger and sauce. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about little, that. Little, little ways up the street, but, uh, you know, same town. They do good stuff down there. <laughs> do, you, do you notice just from people ordering and, and different things that, you know, I guess trends or changing things or just stay pretty common with, I guess, percentages of one cut to the next and, you know, as, as time passes? I think those things do shift around. I think they tend to follow cost more than anything else. Um, you know, when, when strips go down or when ribeyes go down, when the price falls. People are going to tend to jump on those things because they, you know, they can sell them. People can afford to buy them. Uh, They become more popular. Then they become more popular. Price goes back up. People shift off of other things. Also, kind of during the summer, you tend to see lighter cuts. um, What's the big season for, uh, like, Winter, I know, goes up during the holidays. Sure. Tenderloin rises. Tenderloins goes up. Ribeyes go up. Anything that people put in an oven and roast whole. Uh, during the summer right now, anything that you put on a grill is going to be more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Does your ground beef go up? Or is that kind of ground beef, fluctuate? Ground beef fluctuates. That uh, That's just a completely different market altogether. What's really. your favorite percentage on that? What, what do you go with? Probably eighty twenty. Eighty twenty. Yeah. This time of year, what, where's my deal at then? If you know the main prices go up and down depending on season and whatnot. S- strips are pretty good right now. Um, you, you're what we call end cuts, hanger steaks, um, terrace major. Um, 
flank and skirt are both pretty good right now. So, I mean, there's some bargains out there to be had in beef. Uh, a lot of times, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you go to the butcher, talk to the guy behind the counter instead of just looking at price. Because a lot of times those guys have something behind the counter, have things behind the counter that, you know, they'll work with you on. That seems to be our one tip of the show yeah, just in general is talk to people. Times. Go yeah. find the local guy and just have at it. That's yeah. a great idea. That's a great idea. You know, Oxford's an unusual town in that it's a fairly small place, but you, you've got all these great opportunities for food here. Um, you know, you, you've got all of John Currents' restaurants. Um, you know, you see that Vish is nominated again for a James Beard Award. Um, you've got LBs. You've got neon pig uh, you've got several independent restaurants on the square uh you got guys like jonathan here at oxford country club and, and everybody's doing really good stuff everybody's pushing um so th- there's a lot of uh good things going on here uh, a couple times i've been in different local butcher shops and whatnot i, I keep seeing uh on the menu tri-tip mm-hmm. what am i what am i doing with that and what is it tri-tip comes out of the sirloin um it is, I always tell people, tri-tip is great because it soaks up marinade like a magnet. Um, it, you're talking about something great to marinate. That and sirloin flap are both great to marinate. I, I guess it's the grain of the meat it takes to it. It doesn't like to be overcooked. Um, I would probably never cook it past medium. Um, again, it's one of those things that you slice, put on a plate, and get down. Sounds pretty handy, though. Oh, yeah. Handy and inexpensive. And, yeah, reasonable. That's another one kind of like the Terrace Major where you can go. Exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. I guess, Jonathan, kind of staying with the beef thing, anything you're kind of looking to do or anything that uh, anything a little more creative or what, what's, on, what's on your mind? talking with Ty here that I'm definitely looking at doing. Um, you know, the strip. Like you said, it's such a good price. I'd probably get that back in this week. I, I did it a few weeks ago. Um, we do a 14-ounce cut, so that was that was popular. Sold that out. You could cut it in half, do surf and turf. I mean, there's a million things to do with that. What's your favorite surf to throw with your steak? I like fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a huge lobster guy. My wife loves shrimp. but Crab uh, cakes. Crab cake, yeah, that'd be a hard one to beat. A good crab cake. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, y'all give y'all some great. What? Where's the crab meat y'all got? Battle of Batcher, Alabama. Battle of Batcher, yeah. Really, yeah. it's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, fresh crab, hard to go wrong, man. The crab claws crab that claws. I got, I yeah. just went through, you know, fifteen pounds a week on those. We're only open for dinner for three days, you know, three nights. Mm-hmm. Sells great. Just kind of get close to, to wrap it up. I guess we've talked about resting. We've talked about different things as far as the seasoning and don't leave the salt on too long to cure the outside yeah. and all those things. What's any other just kind of tips you'd give the average guy when he's he's lighting up the grill and either picking out his, his beef or uh, preparing it? Um, yes. Salt and pepper it. Um, heavier than you think you need to. Put it on the grill and leave it alone. Don't touch it. Just leave it alone. Let it get a let it sear. Nice marks. Yeah, let it get you know. Let it sear good. Let it get some color on it. Quit messing with it. Are you gas or charcoal? Charcoal. Always. Always. Um, now that being said, if I'm not like quick. tonight, 
I'm not at home, and I guarantee you my wife cooks something on the grill, and it'll be on a gas grill. Yeah. Um, but charcoal, man, it, you know, especially if you've got, like, again, like a, a Komodo-style grill, they're so easy to get lit, they're so easy to get hot, and they're so easy to shut down that, I mean, you can do it in 20 minutes. Do you use your, on your charcoal, do you use the, the light chips, or do you use just? I use, uh, like, natural lump. Yeah, like, lump, yeah. yeah. Like Lazari's is a great brand. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, just a, a natural lump charcoal, mm-hmm. not a briquette. It burns hotter and it burns cleaner, yeah. I think. Do you have a green egg? or a I've got an egg, yeah. Nice. Yeah. What's Thanks. the key on getting the temperature right for the guy that doesn't have the egg and is just lighting up the little circle of Weber and, 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 and throwing uh, them on there? Look, man, I mean, that's a, like a Weber kettle grill. Yeah. I've got one of those, too, and that is by far – my favorite grill to cook with, especially for hamburgers or something I want to cook really quickly. Um, I use a charcoal chimney to light the charcoal. Mm-hmm. Um, dump it in there. And my deal with that is I let my charcoal get white hot. Dump it out. Um, Have you used the uh, crawfish? Well, we used to do the crawfish uh, burner. You know the burners? Yeah. We put our uh, charcoal chimney on that. Light it up. I know all the barbecue guys yeah. do that. Light up their charcoal with that, and then turn it off. You don't have to use all the paper. It doesn't take no, as long. I, I just always use it's news- a great move. Yeah, like I wad up newspaper and do it. But um, you know, and then you, I always leave the bottom vent of my Weber wide open, and then try to control the temperature with the top vent. If things get too hot, you can always bump that bottom vent a little bit. But I start with them both wide open, and then. The, the Weber is kind of completely opposite from the egg, right? The egg, to me, you always want to start low and go high because once you get that thing hot, it takes forever to cool off. The Weber, I mean, you can swing it 200 degrees in five minutes. So, you know, I start with both the things wide open and then just kind of bump the vent back and forth to where I want it to be. Stock Oakfield, I appreciate the time today. Hey, we appreciate it. Thank you very much.